listening to the New Century Multiverse, Panther Soul. Part 3. Desert of the Soul. Chapter 11. The Dread Pirate. Colonash. The sky soars overhead unutterably blue, and the sands around us shift and billow into rivulets of goldenrod and ochre. I could drink the ocean right about now. We have rationed our supplies of water, but it is diminishing faster than I am comfortable with. Each time we pass tall, bending eruptions of cacti, Leah asks me the same question. Can we hack that one open and drink the juice? That juice will make you sick, I say each time. At best, you'll be vomiting and crapping through the eye of a needle. At worst, you'll dehydrate and die, and somewhere in the middle, you'll swallow the pods, and I don't want you off your head, babbling about seeing bats and huge manta rays all screeching and swooping and diving down on us, or else just lying on your back, gibbering and drooling until we have to put you in a sack or leave you for the vultures. And what about that one? She asks, a crooked grin creeping across her face as she points at the next. Yeah, that one will be okay. What are you doing? I'm joking, you little garbage weasel. She pokes her tongue out. We need our wayfinder, otherwise how are we going to get out of here? I guess this is the only place in Rama where your speed probably isn't going to help you. Can't run across this. We survey the great sea of dunes ahead of us. My lad's faster than you think. Maximus pulls up alongside and holds out his open paw next to me. Okay, I'm going to punch him ten times. Watch closely and count to two. Bullcrap! She scoffs, unable to hide her curiosity. Okay. One, two. Did I hurt you? <laughs> Maximus shakes his paw. Corny gag, but it makes her laugh. It is tonight. Maximus, Leah, and I rest around a campfire. So, Princess. The old lion says. Fess up. How did you come to be all the way out here? So far from your home and running a ragtag bunch of gutter snipe thieves. We never snipe no gutters. We were the best in Bastarian. There wasn't a pocket we couldn't pick. And we lived like robber barons. And what do your parents think? I press. She nips at her lower lip and eyeballs me sharply. The king and queen both died when I was tiny. I'm sorry. Did you have anyone else to look after you? A neighbor for a while, but he wouldn't call me princess or serve me as he should. Just wanted me to come work in his stupid fish restaurant. You ever done that? Just washing dishes, scraping away at shrimp in the kitchen all day. The smell of that kind of place just clings to your fur. I wanted to vomit every time I went to bed without bathing and caught sniffing myself. Doesn't sound like your royal duties were all that fulfilling. I commiserate. But, uh, how, how did your parents pass away? My father was killed in a duel and my mother died of sorrow. Very classical stuff, very sad. The only thing I can believe so far about any of this is that she once scraped shrimp off dishes in a restaurant kitchen. I know big talk and misdirection when I hear it. Well, what do you want? 
beyond just getting back to your throne at Iberius. Leo reclines and stretches against her sun dragon. The reptile pet of hers nestles in her lap, never taking his eyes off us. Let's see, what do I want? My first decree will be that everyone must always tell the truth. Except you? Especially me. She says without looking my way. My second will be that my people can open a school where everyone can visit and learn about them. That would make sense. Not a lot of lynxes around. And I never hear anyone talking about Iberius. Maximus gives me a warning look. It may have occurred to him that we are journeying to a place that either isn't there or lies in ruins. So we put ourselves on the map. Maybe build the school in Bastarian. This would be one hell of a trip to make each morning and afternoon. She gestures with a claw to the purple twilight desert surrounding us. And the third decree? Third? Hmm. She strokes Crouton on his scaly head. Third would be nobody is allowed to hit cubs again. Ever. Punishment would be we get the biggest cat you ever did see and he hits you back. Was it the neighbor? I ask softly. He got in three. And he wasn't the last. It's just... It's a shitty thing to do. I mean, I'm tiny. Even for a cub. How am I supposed to... She trails off after seemingly talking to herself. But we left. And we never looked back. Didn't we, Crunchy? Yeah. And after we formed our little band, he lost his wallet. A lot. We're going to get you somewhere safe. I know you are. Iberius. Right. Yes. I shift my head as I lean against my sun dragon. The fire crackles between us, but I'm certain I heard something nearby. What is it? My paw shoots out and I intercept a dart in the air, aimed right for my neck. Oh crap! Get behind the dragons! I battle towards the nearest high sand dune on all fours, zigzagging as I go. This was the direction it came from, and two more darts narrowly miss me as I leap up high over the crest to behold three nomadic cats crouching there with dart rifles. Get the keystone from the cub now! Their leader yelps, diving in to grab at me. The other two break cover and charge down towards my companions. I switch about and give chase. The leader grabs at my legs as we tumble down the sandy slope, cutting a swathe with our bodies until I leap clear and rush towards the lithe one honing in on Leah, who springs and bounces around the campsite, evading the third. Oh, crap. The lithe nomad scratches at my arm and I roar in frustration, spinning and bodily throwing them at their companion. <coughs> the two collide near Maximus, who pulls out a pistol and points it their way as the leader slams into me from behind. We roll once more and I haul away their face coverings because I know that scent. I am looking into two gorgeous, fierce, sea-green eyes. Beatrix? I exclaim. Her knee slams into my gonads and I groan and roll off. She picks herself up and looks sheepishly at Maximus. He gapes at our attacker, halfway between amazement and confusion. Sunflower? Hello, Dad. Fancy seeing you two here. Nash. It is yesterday. 
Colo, this is Beatrix, my daughter. She's an absolute proverbial stick in the mud. Beatrix Colo Nash, a boxer who just became one of the most hated cats in the city. Maximus shuts the door behind us as a glance past the young lioness in her yellow sari. There is a brief moment where I have to tear my eyes away from all the artifacts on display around the room and look at her instead. Her green eyes flash. Congratulations, Dad. You found a companion exactly like you. She growls. I'm sorry I'm a little punch drunk right now, I say, tapping my bruised ribs and still sore and swollen head. It is not a lie. The house is smallish, with stairs descending to an underground bedroom I'll soon find myself sleeping in, and another flight heading up to two more. Everything in here is rounded rock, a myriad of different shades and textures from rough, pink-speckled briarstone to smooth, glassy lemon marble, and dotted around is an eclectic mix of findings from many, many cultures I do not yet know. Small figures engaged in war or mating, riding atop the representations of monolithic beasts. Maximus seems to like these sculptures more representational of life and action, better than simple stones that do nothing but look pretty and glittery. I comprehend as I examine them that each one is telling me a story. I sigh contentedly and marvel at my luck in pitching up here. I then find myself looking into a pretty but pissed off face. So is he staying for supper? I'll expect you want that making for you. Beatrix remarks, waving a paw. Colo will be staying for the foreseeable future. He's going to be my assistant, Maximus proclaims, loping in and flopping down upon the couch. And yes, I would love a supper. Do we have any Ibex left? I'm tired. Going to read a book now. And within half a moment, he has snatched up a heavy tome from the coffee table and buried his nose in it, reclining luxuriously. Beatrix raises her eyes skywards and stalks to the kitchen. I follow her. Can I help? I offer. You can chop the veggies. She mutters, retrieving them. That is, if your paws aren't too bruised. I'll get right on it, I say, washing them and starting in. Bigger. Chunkier. She urges, pointing at the dainty little shapes I've been making, as she slaps an ibex flank down upon the countertop. It has already been seasoned and rubbed, and she begins to concoct a glaze. We push on through the preparations, and soon the kitchen and lounge are filled with the mouth-watering smells of charred meat. She has softened slightly, noticing I have not excused myself. What did he tell you about what he does? <sighs> Some kind of scholar and explorer, I don't know. Sounds pretty exciting. He's a grave robber. She mutters, shame in her voice. Plundering. That's pretty much all there is to it. You sure about that? Got a lot of books around this house. Seems like he really wants to know the stories behind these. And I gesture to the array of antiques and artifacts. Of course, he does his reading first. He wants to know where to go for his pilfering and what he'll be up against. Those books are his menus. I grit my teeth against this wall. You ever go with him? I ask politely and with genuine interest. Yes. He's dragged me along for a few excursions. It's definitely not my idea of a spiffing time. All hot and sticky and surrounded by savages who want you gone. Her eyes narrow. But clearly, 
He needs a young pair of legs and a strong back to do the heavy lifting for him. So, here you are. She pulls the meat off the grill and starts to slice it up and arrange those juicy hot strips onto sky-blue swirled ceramic platters. Lady, listen. I can see how this guy could be a pain in the ass for you to live with, but I'm just grateful he got me out of there. I'll take any amount of hot and sticky if it means I'm not getting punched in the face for a living anymore. <laughs> My paw darts out and I snatch a strip of ibex, chomping it down. The movement happens so fast she has to blink and readjust herself. You are quick then. Mm-hmm. But if I know Maximus and debt collectors, I wouldn't rule out the business of getting punched in the face quite so soon. I glance around. How can he be in debt? He looks loaded. Have you seen this place? Ah, yes. All these trinkets. None of which he can bear to part with. Father is a bad bet, Mr. Nash. She claws a strip of meat and bites into it, her green eyes watching me. I grin slyly and go into my flowing words. Lady in yellow spies a fine-looking fellow. But how did this queen ever get quite so mean? What sparked this contention? A lack of attention? Because I have the time if you'll share in my rhyme. Beatrix smiles. I don't need attention from the likes of you. A roughed up young scrapper, just looking to screw. I look mock hurt. You don't want whirlwind romances with a panther who dances? A scoundrel's advances. Don't fancy your chances. Okay, that was good. Either you meet amorous poets every night and have to fend them off with a whip and a chair, or you got a sharp kind of brain in your head way up there. It's the second one. She replies coolly, taking the onions, garlic, and peppers I have chopped and sautéed and spooning them next to the meat. Father made sure I had the best education his shadily acquired money could afford. I am so very hungry. So what do you want to be? I ask, leaning on the countertop, maintaining this connection. You're educated, but lines have only been settled here a short while, and only in a few spots. This isn't your land. Not yet. So what do you want to do while you're here? I want to sail the seas. Ah, I pick up two of the dishes. So you don't want to be here. I... She pauses as she picks up her own dish, but does not finish and walks back into the lounge where she wakes her snoozing father. She never did answer me, and we see one another only a few times more while I am with Maximus. Beatrix is sad and angry and very lonely, but she tells me she doesn't want a friend, and I back off and give her the space she needs. About an ocean should do it. Beatrix. The cub sits cross-legged before the campfire, as Colo finishes explaining our connections. Okay, then why did you try to shoot us with dart rifles? Because, I reply, in Albies. Now, having to give a speech, I hoped I wouldn't have to. We're searching for the cloud breaker. Just like you three. I point to my leopard companion who glowers at Kolo. This is Litheth, and this is Rikish. 
The jaguar is still nursing his bruised back and waves half-heartedly. We're pirates, and this is a booty to write home about. You haven't written home in a long, long time. Dad says. And last I heard, you were just a sailor. What's all this about piracy? Well, I figured I'd take the family business overseas. So you were just going to shoot us with sleeping darts, rob a youngster blind, and go snatch the treasure for yourselves? Kolo remarks. Pirates, I say again, tapping the hilt of my cutlass. Why didn't you just ask if you could tag along? Dad presses. We would have said yes in a heartbeat. I've missed you so much. He crosses the distance between us, limping on his bad leg, and puts his arms around me. I stiffen up within my red coat. He feels so much less grand than how I remember. All right. May we tag along? We'll have to ask our Pathfinder. Dad muses and turns to Leah. You wouldn't have been able to read this anyway. The lynx remarks, spinning the ball in her paws. But I can teach you if you like. Oh, and have her fire sleeping darts at us in our sleep and make off with the thing. Great plan, so good. He was always sweet on you. Dad whispers. been listening to episode 11 of panther soul the dread pirate written edited and directed by alexander shaw colo nash performed by alex shaw leah performed by willow shaw maximus performed by spencer lieb captain beatrix performed by loretta sailor make your decision by dan phillipson of shockwave sound Panther Soul theme, Zard, composed and performed by Jason Bradley Livesey of Shockwave Sound. Volatile Reaction and Whimsy Groove, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Sad Instrumental by Ald. Desert Bazaar, Ambience by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Hellas Hario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. 
For the maximum New Century Multiverse experience, you need to be checking out the podcast Through the Wind Door, where Greg Downing and Toby Skills Jungius talk us through each story like a book club and go into mind-boggling depth. I don't know about you, but I like having my mind boggled. They're currently up to Steamheart. And if you want to read the entirety of Panthersoul right now, it is available in a gorgeous paperback on Amazon.com. Alternately, you can support this project for $10 on Patreon and get access to all the New Century ebooks and audiobooks.